Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Last year, I dropped deeper and deeper into my purpose of helping women shed unhelpful layers turn inwards and take ownership of their lives in order to access their fullest, most vibrant potential. In this time, I have been creating an immersion that offers exactly that, through a completely unique blend of tools, skills and practices, from yoga, breathwork and the body, to self-inquiry, emotional process work and intuitive and creative art-based explorations, so that understanding and spiritual growth is deeply integrated through a variety of modalities and is fully embodied. I'd love to invite you to the first ever Voyage to the Soul four-day immersion taking place in Norfolk, UK from the 24th to the 27th of April, 2020. If you'd like further info on this immersion and how you can join us, please contact me, Shay, through the contact page on shaydaya.com, linked in the show notes. Hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kombucha and Color. I'm Shay, and I'm so excited today to have this beautiful woman on the line, Nira Manek, who is the author of Saffron Soul and her latest book, Prajna. She is also the owner of Chai by Nira, which is a cafe in Kingly Court in Soho, and she's also a former, or maybe still a currently, a travel journalist. Nira sent me her book, and we connected through Dr. Tara Swart, who wrote The Source. And Nira sent me her book, and I've just absolutely dived into it and loved every single bit of it. Um, and so I'm so excited to chat with her today and share this book with you guys on the show. So welcome, Mira. Thank you for coming. No, thank you. Oh my God, that's such a lovely introduction. Thank you. So do you want to just share with everybody your personal journey? You speak a little bit about this in the book before we even get into it. What I love so much about this book is that it's got a little piece of everything. It's got a little bit of yoga practices. It's got a little bit of breath work. It's got this big piece on ritual. It's got a little bit of the history of India. It's got philosophy of yoga. It's got a bit of your personal story. It's got recipes and resources and playlists. And it's just, it's it's such a feel good book. Like I was reading a little bit on the train today and I was just found myself smiling from ear to ear. And I was like, this book is just so life affirming. So thank you for putting it out into the world. so lovely of you. Thank you. No, yeah. I, I, I did try to encompass a lot into that small yeah. package of rituals. Mm, and it's still so easy to digest and really easy to take in. So do you want to give us a story or a backstory about what led you to creating this sure. book in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you know, my first book was a cookbook. Firstly, thank you for everything you've just said. You've literally encapsulated everything that my book stands for and what I've done and tried to show within the book. So thank you for that. I am honored to be on your wonderful podcast. And um, thank you to Tara for introducing me as well. But yeah, the book basically came about as a result of sort of, it brings together the different elements of my life and my journey to the stage 
where I've got to now from studying Sanskrit at school to going to the only school in London where we were taught Sanskrit, doing GCSE and A-level in Sanskrit, which gives a very strong foundation for all these things, including philosophy, spirituality, and life learnings. Um, secondly, um, doing um, it brings together sort of my travels in India, where I delve into why I've traveled to India so much, you know, listening to my guru, my spiritual teacher. And thirdly, the yoga element. And lastly, which is actually very important, is the food, which I think is such a important part of lifestyle, an important part of your rituals, um, because it really makes you feel better. It dictates your energy levels in a way and really um, has an impact on mental health, which we are realizing more and more these days. And also food was how I got back into this journey. So my first book was a cookbook called Saffron Soul, which um, brings together the family recipes that I've grown up eating and that I sort of lost during my time abroad um, and also during my teenage years and my 20s when I sort of started listening to the media and becoming kind of a sponge for all those different diets and fads that were out there. And I let go of what I'd grown up eating and what I'd, I'd lost value in that. And I relearned that and I regaged that and I came back to my roots when I moved back to London. And so this book, the second book that I've done encapsulates all of that. There's so much of your history and the richness of that idea of going back to childhood and revisiting from a nostalgic point of view, but also from this real rich cultural tapestry that forms part of your life. It's a really beautiful thing to read and to you've really honored it in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And it's, it comes through in the way that the book reads. So there's a big thread of this concept of ritual that runs through the book. First of all, do you think that there is any difference between ritual and habit? I run a platform, Move, Breathe, Create, and every single season we do a different theme. And this season just happens to be on ritual. I mean, sorry, it happens to be on habits. I'm getting the two interchanging, which is kind of what I want to speak to you about. And do you think that there is a difference between ritual and habits? And what would you say that nuance is? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, habits are really tricky because, you know, they feel like they need to have a sort of timeliness and structure and you need to do it time to time every day, which I think is really wonderful, especially when you're trying to inject your life with new rituals. But rituals have a spiritual element. You know, even the word itself has this sort of connotation of something quite spiritual and taking you elsewhere. And I think rituals have that spiritual grounding, something, a practice which can elevate the soul, which can inspire you. And it can be just movement. It can just be trying to do one yoga class a week or listening to a podcast or walking down the street or taking a time out to have your chai. It could be anything. And it doesn't need to necessarily take you to that level. But there's something wonderful about that ritual, which I think habit can be something where you find a bit of mon monotony if you know what I mean um, yes. and I don't think rituals shouldn't have that sense once rituals become habits they become a part of your life which is great but they don't need to be every single day at the same time if you miss something and you don't feel inspired to do it and it just you're doing it out of oh I have to do it because it's this habit you don't want that to happen you want to be inspired to do that ritual and that's I think sort of I would say the difference between the two you know, habit feels like a word where you sort of have to do something or you you're got into a pattern and therefore, whereas I think ritual just has this elevating sense. 
I just think, I think rituals can be habits. Do you know what I mean? But they don't, they aren't habits. Yeah, and I think that you you raised an important point there about this element of spiritualness or spirituality and sacredness that comes with ritual, which is so, it's so lacking in so much of what we do these days. And I think that boils down to the intention because we can have an activity that we do day to day, but if we have a different intention with it, then it suddenly becomes a ritual. It suddenly becomes exactly intention is a wonderful word. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And yeah, and exactly. It's it comes from the consciousness. It connects you to the consciousness mm. and it has an intention and purpose. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. But the purpose that. doesn't need to be something profound. It can just be I want a bit more grounding in my life or I just want to do yoga. It doesn't need to be a profound intention, but what comes out of that could be very profound at the end of it. Mm, mm. so then in a personal sense what are some of your daily rituals um if you have any daily rituals i i do chop and change and swap rituals now and again and i don't make a habit of them but there are certain things that have become a part of my life that are habits like doing the breath work in the morning for example especially kapal pati which is the breath of fire which really injects that sense of energy vitality and gets my digestion moving because that's the part of my life where i've sort of um, struggled you know my digestion so I feel like the breath of fire is something that has become a part of my life and there might be some days when I don't do it but most days I do even if it's a few minutes only and just sitting in that position of um, having the the legs folded under you and that's a very good position for digestion and then the other thing that's become part of my life is just having lots of warm or lukewarm or just room temperature water in the morning making sure I have enough of that and having some sort of a either ginger in hot water, ginger lemon, I swap that a lot as well. But having some sort of a concoction in the morning, it just gets my digestive fire going. And that is at the heart of Ayurveda, which is the science, obviously, that my book um, is sort of uh, hinged upon. And the heart of that is basically making sure that the digestive fire is ignited at all times. And to do that, there are various things, for example, leaving enough gaps between meals or in the morning having something, having water, having a concoction. I sometimes have my Ayurvedic herbs in the morning. Um, and then I do like to have, you know, a nice breakfast, but it depends. It depends on the season. In the summer, sometimes I skip breakfast and I, I, I have it a little bit later. In the winter, I sort of crave that hearty porridge in the morning. And the other thing that's become a ritual is making sure I do two yoga classes a week and, and uh, well, basically 50-50 yoga and, and gym. And I love, I love both. And I need that movement in my life. I need that sort of bounce of energy. And I do need that stretching as well because my body gets really tight. So I try and make sure that uh, movement and yoga is a real part of my almost everyday life, actually. I'd like to get out into the open air a little more and walk more. And that's something I need to work on. So I need to inject that as a, as a new ritual, even though that's something I've been telling myself for a while. I do go out and I do walk, but I don't always make a habit of it. And I think that's something that's really important, you know, to get your blood moving, to get the oxygen flowing. Um, I think that's really important. Um, mm -hmm. And then also taking the time to sit down and have a try and, and write something down that comes to mind. Um, again, when we get really busy and have a busy week, sometimes we forget to do that. But it's such a lovely, important way to reconnect with oneself. So, you know, yesterday I was actually at a Women's Day, International Women's Day, which was run by Lululemon. And we sat down after we did a yoga class and we sat down and we went through a whole booklet that they've created um, to find sort of what is our purpose and what is purpose and what is 
sort of connecting to consciousness. What is blocking us? What inspires us? And that was such a wonderful way to look at things because it's something that just brings, slows you down for a second and makes you think of life and, uh, you know, you start observing things in your life. And I think taking that time away and doing that once a week or even once a month, checking in with yourself, you know, looking at the bigger picture is so important because you will actually be more functional. You'll be more productive as a result of that. And it'll just take you away for an hour or two and allow you to observe and, and take a sort of look on everything that you're doing. Mm, definitely gives that sense of vitality, that sense of richness to your life to have those moments where you're pausing and you are just reflecting and yeah, as you say, like zooming out the lens a little bit. Zooming out the lens, exactly. I like that. Yeah. And I think it's, it, it zooms out the lens. It makes you reflect, but it also points out the obvious, which you may not have seen. You may just be rushing through life, which I, I am hundred uh, percent one of those people who rushes through things. But when I rush through things and then I haven't stopped for a couple of weeks, I feel like there's a lot I miss. And those are obvious things, you know, something simple, like I'm spending too much time on thinking about um, a particular issue, which is just of no benefit. And so why can't I just kill that one thing? Or I'm spending, I'm not being productive in these hours when I'm trying to work because maybe I'm feeling tired in those hours. So maybe I need to switch up the routine a bit or Mm. it could be anything really. Um, and just taking a stock of that is really important because you can switch things around very quickly and easily, refresh your brain and refresh your life and see how a simple change can affect a large impact. And that's what that's basically what I think taking stock of um, and even writing a few things down and maybe having certain questions ready that, you know, once or twice, once a week or once a month, you sit down and you look at those questions and you go through them and maybe even writing them down and seeing how they change over time. And I call that ritual journaling. So I'm actually coming up with a concept now. I'm doing a workshop next week called ritual journaling in which I'll be speaking about this a lot more and writing down how you're feeling. And over time, you can sort of assess how these different rituals have impacted and helped you. So you can really sort of take the juice out of it. Mm, mm. so you'll have to give us details for that i'll put the I'll put a link to that in the yeah, show notes because i also see you've got a ayurveda and food workshop on sunday yeah. the 19th of april exactly yeah that's really exciting because i'm working with a teacher dr Deepa apte who's a teacher but also ayurvedic practitioner and a medical doctor she's amazing and i actually did a course with her um she's so full of knowledge and she's a great practitioner as well and i'm collaborating with her so she'll be doing the talk on Ayurveda and the gut because actually gut the Ayurveda is all about digestion and gut as I said and also I'm doing the food side of it so what can you eat for um, helping your gut issues and lastly she'll also be doing consultations Um, but yeah we only announced it a day and a half ago and it's already half fully well no not fully sorry half booked which is amazing 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 well it's it's such a beautiful thing you know and it's like your space i haven't actually been to chai banira yet i was hoping to get there before this um podcast but i have i've booked a class at um chai yoga for next week thursday so i'm gonna pop in afterwards on next week thursday so if you're there i will hello amazing i'd love to see you that'd be great yeah, amazing um, no it's actually not in chai the the the, the ayurveda workshop is actually at my um family home in oh, northwest london so amazing bigger space because we need space to like do the practitioner you know she needs to do that i need to do the food we then have lunch it's like a full day thing so it'll be oh. a really really wonderful 
nourishing and a day of learning really Mm, so good for the soul, isn't it? That just have that yeah, that community, exactly. that food, that yeah, just beautiful. You're creating so many amazing things in the world. Each week, we get incredible feedback about our episodes of Kombucha and Color. We know our show is touching, inspiring, and helping hundreds of women, and we would like to reach even more. Can you help? You can help other women find the inspiration that you have found if you head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you screenshot your review and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna, Shay, or Kombucha and Color, we'll send you a wonderful restful yoga nidra practice to download so you can find some peace and calm in your day or a better night's sleep at night. Additionally, everyone who enters and leaves a review and shares it on Instagram will be put into a lucky prize draw to win a copy of my Beat the Bloat guide and Shay's yoga guide. You can love your body from the inside out with 174 pages, including over a hundred pages of recipes, which walk you through my 28 day digestive reset process. This is perfect if you want to reset your body, address any unwanted health symptoms, or support your skin, hormones, energy, and digestion. Shay's 173-page yoga guide includes 116 pages of detailed pose analysis. It will give you all the tools you need to teach yourself yoga so you can sequence, practice, and flow safely in your very own home. Remember, all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, screenshot the review, and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna underscore Marsh underscore Nutrition, Shay at Indie Yoga Life, or Kombucha and Color, Kombucha underscore and underscore Color. Head on over and do that right now before you forget, and then your yoga nidra practice will be on its way. And you know, going back to that first question that you came up with, and I know I told you about my journey of how this book came back, but I didn't really tell you about how, I mean, I know you've read it now, but you know, Prajna encapsulates rituals that actually sort of, not that just give you a grounding and a sense of purpose in life on a day-to-day basis and inspires your life with lovely new practices but also it's a package of practices that during the harder times in life pick you up for example if you wake up and make a habit of just smiling to yourself and writing down or even mentally noting three things that you are grateful for um, even if they're very small things and sometimes it's the smaller things that are more are easier to Uh, have gratitude for because the bigger things you sort of know that they're there so doing those things on a daily basis on a normal day that's great it kind of gives you that positive mindset starts tweaking your brains in a certain way um your brain in a certain way and changing sort of the way you think but on the harder times if you've instilled this practice of smiling or praying or writing down three things that you're grateful on the days that you're really going through those dark that dark period and something going wrong in your life and you feel like everything is tumbling those little rituals will mean a lot more because they will shift they will slowly without you realizing impact what you're doing that day and how you're feeling that day and the reason i say this is because my journey to 
finding these rituals in life was because I was going through my own period of, you know, I, I was going through a really long divorce and I didn't know what was happening in my life. I wasn't living here. I was living abroad and I was sort of alone. And, and, and that sense of loneliness, because I didn't really have any friends out there. My family was here. I didn't really know what was happening in my marriage. It was all very unclear. And for a whole year or more, I, I was in this sort of um, darkness. And during that time, it's not like I said to myself, I need these rituals and I need these practices. I just took each day, one day at a time, and literally thought about what can I do in that day that can just provide some sense of happiness. So I knew that yoga was giving me some happiness at that time. So I started doing more yoga. I was also living in a hot country. So I sat out in the sun because that really made me happy. Or I went for a spin class. Um, I found that quite hard because, again, you're not following instructions. So you're in your mind sometimes. And it's dark in there. So sometimes I found myself just crying. I, you know, I, I just, I, so I'd rather be in the light. So I started realizing what it was that actually made me happy. And I started doing only those things, you know, even sitting outside, having a coffee and meeting a friend or going for a walk or just little things. And it's sometimes, it is often those little things that lift you. And in hindsight, I realized that I created rituals to sort of, survive at that time and now those rituals mean a lot more and they've extended further and have become sort of part and parcel of life absolutely and that speaks again to this idea that's that runs through your book of it allowing there's fluidity in your rituals and i speak to you know we have all different seasons within our lives and obviously seasons in the natural world spring summer autumn winter but also there's seasons within our lives which are more wintry which we're a little bit lower which we feel not so good even if it's sunny outside you know, new mothers who maybe they've got all these things that they have to do as part of their rituals, but then it gives this breathing space. Like this is what's feeling good right now. I'm going to settle into this. This is what's really anchoring me right now. I'm going to do this, this practice. I need to replenish my body because of X, Y, Z. I'm going to focus on this. Like, so that it's not overwhelming, but it's really just an easy way to integrate into ways that just make you feel a little bit more coming home to yourself, which is what I really exactly. love. Yeah, coming yeah. home to yourself and also listening to your inner voice, which is sometimes hard to do when you're mm -hmm. surrounded by people and things and busy life. Um, it's hard to listen to the inner voice and actually understand what it is that your, um, your heart is wanting or your soul is saying or what you really, really need. These rituals bring you back, like you said, home and allow you to give you breathing space to actually find what it is that your inner voice is saying. Mm. So just going on this piece of the inner voice is I don't know enough about the time frame or the, the line of this of when you kind of were going through your divorce and when you had this inspiration to do your first cookbook, when you started your cafe. I'd love to know a little bit more about your personal story of, you know, was it something that your heart just said, okay, I need to start this cafe now? Or did that evolve slowly? Um, how did yeah. you transition from the travel journalist? Like what were the catalysts or was it a heart led thing or was it like something that in your head you needed to change or switch up or I'd love to know a little yes. more about that. Yeah. It's, it's actually really, um, it's interesting. I, I look back on my own journey. I think, wow. Um, I would never have thought I would be here right now, but I would never have thought I would have written a cookbook. Cooking was not really a part of my life. I lived abroad during marriage and I also traveled. I was a travel journalist while I was married. So I used to go all over the place, but it sort of fit into my life. So whenever I fancied doing something, I'd, it sort of made it work for me. And I was living between Dubai and Uganda. I also ran a charity in Uganda. I set up my own sort of 
organization there. And I was also living, you know, I was traveling to India a lot because obviously Dubai is very near India and I love going to India. So any op- opportunity I got, I'd travel to India as well. And uh, I also then became, when I was living out in Dubai during the last stage of being there, so in the sort of fifth year of my fourth or fifth year of my marriage, I started um, working with a magazine out there, um, which was launching at the time. So I was the first editor of the first ever yoga um, magazine in the Middle East. So that really got me back into yoga. I mean, I'd done yoga over the years and it was a really interesting sort of journey of how I got into yoga, but I didn't necessarily keep it up everywhere. And this book, I mean, sorry, becoming editor of this magazine really got me back into the sort of community in Dubai and opened me up to, open my eyes up to the whole community that's out there, which is really amazing because I didn't know there was a whole community of yoga and yogis out there. So I started doing a lot of yoga at that time. Um, I left that job pretty quickly, I think within six to eight months and then continued my yoga practice. And that was when I was going through my sort of unsure period of what was happening in my life. Um, and for, for that year ahead, I started doing lots of yoga, traveling to India, doing yoga there. I'd go to Bombay and literally just stay somewhere and go to yoga house, which, which had become my little haven in Bombay. At the time, I didn't know that many people in Bombay. Now I have lots of friends there. So I was quite lonely there as well. But I found my space there. I really enjoyed it. So I spent like one or two weeks just being in Bombay and doing yoga and spending almost the entire day at yoga house doing yoga classes. Um, sitting down and writing and and eating good food. Um, and I think it was at that time that it dawned on me that I was doing all the wrong things in terms of health and re- realized that actually what I needed to do is find my own healing medicine cabinet in, my, in the food that I grew up eating, which is home-cooked Gujarati Indian food, um, which I'd sort of lost over time. And that's when it dawned on me that, oh, I need to write a book to sort of show the world that Indian food is really healthy and home-cooked Indian food is really easy to make and really, really um, nutritious. And obviously that was a sudden dream and vision, which wasn't going to come to reality very quickly, but I thought it would. So I started going about creating that book as soon as I moved back to London, maybe six months later, and started sending it out to agents and uh, publishers and realized quite quickly, even though one agent signed me up and said, oh, I love the concept we quickly realized that because I'm not a nobody in the food world, I'm not going to get a book out there just that quickly. And I just had this dream of writing a book. I didn't know anything about, even though I loved books, I didn't know much about cookbooks. So I started learning these recipes and having got lots of rejections from publishers, I started experimenting with these recipes. I started learning the food that I'd grown up eating, which hadn't really changed. My mother, my aunts, my grandmother, they all still cooked the same food and I just started learning these familiar flavors and how they came about and how simple they are and out of sheer fascination um, I started experimenting and creating my own versions or my own um, creative recipes and through that I started doing supper clubs and publishing some of my recipes in um, magazines and publications here in London and finally two years later from all the events and um, some publicity that I got I finally got a publisher on board and my first book came about. So this was all about six, the entire journey really started six years ago. And then my book came out three years ago, um, Saffron Soul in 2017. And then one year after Saffron Soul, one and a half years after Saffron Soul, I used to go to try yoga a lot. And 
somehow they had me on their radar, I had them on my radar, and the cafe there became available, and it just worked out. Again, I had no idea or inclination of wanting to open a restaurant or cafe, but the opportunity came up, and I said yes, and within three months, I was opening a cafe when I had no previous experience. So it was quite a learning curve, a very, very big learning curve, which in hindsight, obviously, I did a few things wrong, but essentially, you know, I grew, and it got into a rhythm slowly slowly but surely and I'm still learning because I don't come from a background of you know managing places or cafes or people or restaurants so um it's it's an interesting experience but it's the most it's a lovely collaboration I love try yoga that's where I started my yoga practice when I moved back to London um six seven years ago and it's so wonderful to be in a place which feels like my own sanctuary in a way and that's how the cafe came about and then one year later, I published this book, Prajna, which is, brings together all the different strands of my life in a very, in a beautiful way, I think. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It is. It's, it's listening to your story is just so incredible. And the one thing that I would, the one word that I would use to describe your book is, well, maybe two, either beautiful or there's richness. Like there's so much richness in this book. Like even just the cover is like this vibrancy. It's rich. It's filled with like all this beautiful content. But just going back to something that you said about, you know, you have these practices that your grandmother used to make these recipes, your mother used to make these recipes. And it was about coming back to this place. And there's actually a part in your book where you mentioned that your mother was giving these recipes to your sister who was breastfeeding at the time. And she wasn't quite sure how these recipes were working, but she knew that at this breastfeeding time, this is a good recipe to um, feed to this breastfeeding mother. And I just, it, it made me reflect on, you know, as these practices have come to the West and the West in some ways have started to try and intellectualize everything. And what exactly is in this food or in this recipe that is causing all these benefits and where are we getting these antioxidants, all these different things that we can start to take a little bit of that sacredness and that magic and that ritual and the mysticism out of some of these rituals. I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit about how things have come over to the West. Do you think there's still opportunity to keep this sacredness of the practices? And then maybe also just how we as white people can honor and, and, and really show sacredness to the things that are coming from India and coming from this tradition. Yeah, and going back to the breastfeeding and that, you know, new mother, there is a whole diet that Indian mothers prescribe and they sort of all know it intuitively. You know, Mm. if you are an Indian girl having a baby, you usually ask um, your friend who's Indian, um, you know, did your mother give you, is your mother telling you to eat X, Y, and Z and have a sort of, you know, laugh about it. Not really a laugh, but, you know, you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm eating that. I hate this. I like that. And there is a whole prescribed menu but actually if you look at the reasons behind these things they may not necessarily understand they haven't done a degree in nutrition but they understand that for example millet is very good for breastfeeding mothers because of x y and z or ghee is very good because your bones are there's been a bit of wear and tear in your body and ghee sort of replenishes that or for example your bones require ghee thirdly you should have um, a drain speed um, because it's very good for digestion and it will help the baby, you know, with uh, because obviously the milk is feeding the baby and everything you eat directly impacts the baby's digestion. And for example, having um, jaggery has a lot of iron minerals, so it's very good for the body at this time. So there is, they do understand the 
the sort of basic principles and reasons. But if you actually look into and even Google, you know, why is millet flour good? And if you look at the things that come up, it will, di- it, it will immediately tell you and show you why it's good for you as a breastfeeding mother. Or if you look up carom seeds and why they're very, very good, it will show you why they're good for digestion and why Indians eat them. So my grandmother might not be able to tell me in so many words why she's prescribing this entire recipe and each how each ingredient impacts my body. So that's what I was telling you. That I, th- I mean, sorry, that's what I was writing in the book is that there are certain things which science is starting to or has proven why things are good. But there are also certain rituals which we do question and which is necessary to question. You know, like I think I mentioned in there that periods, for example, if women are on their periods, they can't go to a specific religious um, functions or they're not meant to, some Indians say you're not meant to enter the kitchen. But all those things are not sort of based on, I personally don't think they're based on religion. I personally think that they were, they came out of practicality at the time, which is that Ayurveda says and Indians say that you really shouldn't be doing any exercise or exerting yourself in any way, shape or form during the time when you're on your monthly cycle because you're not meant to it's not good for the woman and then that turned slowly into something that became a religious thing so I think that some the some of these things have been lost in translation Mm -hmm. and therefore it's important to question certain things and find meaning in them but there are certain rituals that you want to keep and you want to do because your grandmother says and there is beauty in them like Mm -hmm. you know doing a prayer at the beginning of a you know when you're doing a you're starting a new journey you you do a prayer and the coconut becomes a very big part of that so for example if a, wed- a newly wedded couple are leaving the um you know wedding they break a coconut shell under the car now again it's hard to decipher the reason for that but there is reason and so those little things i think if there's no harm in them it's, there's a beauty in that ritual mm-hmm. but where you feel like those rituals are becoming sort of impacting on the woman you know why can't I go to a religious function because I'm on my period or why can't I do this I think those things need to be questioned so I think we question things and find meaning in things where it feels right and just understanding it from a different perspective and finding beauty in them Mm. I don't know if that kind of answers your question yeah it definitely does and I think that 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 piece of I guess my question is is like this in the West, we have to know all the reasons why. And as you say, there's this beauty in sometimes just letting it be this thing that's beautifully passed down from, from generation to generation yes. without having to get into the nitty gritty of understanding exactly what caraway seeds do and how this affects the immune system and how this affects the body. Yeah. And just have this ritual of this is food to nourish your soul and let it be passed down in this beautiful, like generation to generation. And it's, it's fed through the lines, like in this really intuitive way is I think what it comes down to. No, I think that's very, very right and very true. But I also think that we are now in a world and we live in an age where we do often find and that we need reason in things. And we know that if we are going to pass something down to the next generation, they're going to question it even more. So Mm -hmm. it's important for us to understand the reason because if we understand the reason, everything will fall into place. Once you Mm -hmm. understand the reason why, why I should have millet flour in the winter and during the time when I'm breastfeeding, I won't question anything else because I know that's good for me. But if that one thing isn't answered, then I'll always struggle with finding meaning in that and also perp- finding sort of um, intention in doing it. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, 
and I may not be as bothered, but if I know the reason, I will be bothered. So I think finding your own reason and yeah, going going with that diet just because it's prescribed to you, that's totally fine. But understanding it, because science has proved these things, it's quite a wonderful way of looking at it from the perspective that you know, those, all these recipes were passed down by word of mouth or intuitively from one generation to another. And now we're, science is proving that there is meaning in that, which is also really, really lovely. So I think you're right that, that it's nice to just do things without necessarily questioning them. But yeah. it's amazing to see that science and neuroscience are proving a lot of these things. You know, like for example, neuroscience is proving the fact that the law of attraction, that you can actually prove that, you know, if you're putting an intention out there, why is it that these things happen when you put an intention and you're maybe saying affirmations and doing EFT, which is the emotional freedom technique. I know that's completely different, but what I'm saying is that science is, and nutritional science is proving certain things that we've done for years and years, like the benefits of turmeric, but also neuroscience is proving the reality of the law of attraction as well. Mm. Um, so it's an amazing time to be doing all these things. And I think people are awakening more and more to the interplay and the interconnectedness of mind body and spirit mm, absolutely well, i absolutely love that and it's it's almost like the west is now suddenly catching up to all these beautiful historic traditions that have been passed down generation to generation and going oh yes yeah. and you know everyone else is going yeah we've well, been telling you for say, thousands of years <laughs> exactly no you're totally right but what i would say in that same point and in the same breath is that a lot of us indians in this generation of indians having, you know, migrated, you know, our parents' generation came to the UK um, from different countries and in America, actually, we were starting to question these things and lose meaning in them until the West has woken us up to the reasons behind them. So mm. I remember growing up and having turmeric milk when I was feeling ill, um, on a, you know, whenever I was feeling ill or in, during winter time, and not necessarily loving it. And then over the years, when I became a teenager, in, in my 20s, I just stopped having it completely. I just didn't really think about something I needed to have. So unless my mom was going to tell me, you really need to have this, I wouldn't really have it. And it's only now that living in London or living in the West, everyone's talking about turmeric. that I've gone back to something that was very inherent, but that I'd lost. So there is some wisdom and some and it's amazing to see that the west has opened up this whole treasure trove of recipes and um rituals and things that we started doing many many years ago so that our generation of indians is actually coming back to those things mm-hmm. yoga turmeric spices cooking with spices meditation all those things we were starting to lose and they've come back to India through the West, through a Western lens, and woken up India to its own inherent wisdom, which I think is amazing as well. So there's also, there's two sides of the coin, and it's like the world has sort of gone full circle in a way. Mm. I love that perspective, and it is so refreshing to hear that. You know, one of the questions that I have for you, and I guess it's a question at large for myself as well, is that how, as a, you know, I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a white person, like how am I making sure that I'm honoring the sacredness of these practices that I'm sharing? Like, it's really important to me to, to get that across to people. And I think, you know, hearing this, this perspective of there's this beautiful melting pot of like, you know, things that, you know, are science that are things that to be shared with everybody to, 
better the lives of the people around us. And I think it's so beautiful to have that, you know, what are we learning from you? What are you learning from us? Like there's this beautiful melting pot of just really good intention is what I feel. Exactly. And I think that intention is very, very important. You know, there's space for everyone in this world. And I think, you know, finding, there's a, obviously a lot of competition in this field, but there's also, a, I think, understanding that everyone's intention is to basically better the world and bring about, bring about a better sense of wellness and inspire other people to do more and do more for themselves. That Looking at it from that perspective, you realize that there is space for everyone and that understanding that intention or seeing that intention is very, very important. Yeah. Absolutely. I just, I saw, I could chat to you for hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's so wonderful to actually be speaking to somebody who's actually read my book properly and, and understood these concepts and actually handpicked the conversation points really, really well. Yeah, it's so been, it's been, you. yeah, it's, it's, it really is such a beautiful, but oh, one thing, other thing that I wanted to just chat to you about um, before we, we sign off, but this piece of creativity because you speak about one of the festivals or some of the festivals where you watch your grandfathers or someone maybe creating all these patterns with colored rice and this beautiful sense of dancing and you know celebration and singing and spirit and a lot of for me that relates to this piece of creativity which for me is so much connected to our spiritual being and our spiritual self so it's a huge proponent of what I teach on you know move breathe create is a big part of what I do because the movement, the breath work, the sitting in stillness and that creative piece, which gives us that vitality, you know, sacral chakra. Like, can you please speak a little bit to that? I grew up doing lots of things like that. So for example, going to this dance festival, that's actually practiced all, all around London and all over the world in different halls during that time, during those nine days called Navaratri. It had a religious meaning, but it also has a spiritual meaning. But often, again, we lose that sense of spirituality and religion, and we go there to actually just dance and meet our friends. And often, <laughs> the girls want to meet Indian boys as well, which is another <laughs> thing. But that's a whole other ulterior motive. Conversation, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it has become that sort of a festival. But what I'm saying is that I think it's wonderful to actually understand the spiritual and the religious meaning behind behind these festivals. And it's only when I started doing research on the festivals like Navaratri, why we do the Rangoli, which is the um, colors that that you just said, you know, with rice or with powders at the entrance of the house when it's Diwali time. Why is it that we do that? Or why is it that we make certain dishes on Diwali? Because we're celebrating the triumph of good over evil. But what is that about? That's the story of the Ramayana, of how Rama came home and won um, the battle with Ravana and then there's the meaning the spiritual meaning and the spiritual meaning is basically the light over darkness so that can be taken again that's why these festivals are not necessarily they don't have to be religious festivals there's something very spiritual about them and so for example dancing during the nine days of Navaratri that's basically evoking the female spirit and that's celebrating the female spirit and um, doing the arti for example um, lighting those candles is again our homage and our paying respect to that female spirit. So, so, so what I'm saying is that there's just such beauty mm. in finding the meanings of these rituals. So going back to that thing that you were saying earlier about just doing rituals with, without questioning them, that's great because I grew up doing all these things and I I love the dancing and the rhythm and the beat are part of my sort of intrinsic makeup. 
um, and they come very naturally to me in dressing up. I love doing all of that. But it's only later in life, I would say, while I was researching this book, that I came up and that the ritual, the meaning behind the rituals came up. And I started understanding the spiritual uh, meaning behind these rituals and these practices and this dance. And that provided a whole new perspective for me, which I thought was just amazing. So while it's wonderful to practice these things and do them because they're inherent and a part of our culture, I think it's also amazing to find meaning in them and to actually understand what the meaning is because that meaning has sort of been lost over time. You know, my mother wouldn't be able to put into words why we do certain things, but actually looking them up or speaking to somebody who understands the reasons we do them provides a different context. And then you go there with that different intention and you look at it from a different lens, which awakens you to a whole world of your inner self and why you do these things. Mm, I absolutely love that. And that intentionality is so important. Samira, is there anything else that you want to add? Any other workshops that you've got coming up that you want to share with people? Let us know anything else that you want to add in. Sure. So I have, like you said, the Ayurveda um, Heal Your Gut workshop with the incredible teacher, Dr. Deepa Apte in London on the 19th of April, which is a Sunday from 10 to 4 p.m. It's all on my website. And then I also have next week a workshop coming up, a free workshop actually with Lululemon in their Regent Street branch. They do various events in their base and I'll be doing an event in their base on the 10th of March which will be all about ritual journaling and Ayurveda. And then I'm planning more days. I'm doing more sort of workshops on food. I'm planning and coming up with a whole sort of course or, or well, a workshop, a booklet to go with it on feeding, um, on, on sort of the diet that you do as a new mother and really with breastfeeding. So I'm working on that right now as well. So I'm trying to working on various elements of Ayurveda and very targeted parts of it mainly to do with well that one's to do with women but um, but the gut of course and then cooking um and then i don't know what's next i don't know what other events i have coming up right now i'll be speaking at the mind body spirit festival i'll be speaking at balance festival and that's all i have coming up for now keeping me busy for now (laughs) yeah sounds like a lot I'll put, I'll get some links for you where people can find you on social media um, you. and on your website. It's a beautiful website as well to go and have a browse around. And um, I've already decided what I'm going to order next week when I come into Chai by Mira. I feel like you've got to have the oh, chai yeah, when you go to Chai by Mira. <laughs> I think so. And also Kiktri. Kiktri is the other thing we focus on. It's a very Ayurvedic um, dish with uh, which we serve at the cafe, which you must try. So definitely come with a slightly hungry stomach. <laughs> I will. I totally will. I'm coming next Thursday. So I'll see you there if you're there. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'll write it down and definitely be there. But thank awesome. you so much. It's been such a wonderful conversation. Yes, I've loved and, I can feel um, like I could chat to you for hours. Yeah, I know. I really can. I can stay on here and definitely chat more. Well, we will. We'll do another one. <laughs> Yay! Yes, we will. <laughs> and delve into other topics yes i'd love to well thank you so much for coming on the show and i can't wait to share your book with all our readers and actually i must tell you when i got your book and it was so beautiful i went to one of my private clients and i was like this book she's gonna love this book and i was like i've got this amazing book you have to go and buy it and she turned to me and she was like oh i already have it it's sitting next to my bed (laughs) i was like so your work is really reaching lots of people so there you go that's so great thank you no that's really thank you for sharing that and also i I am starting to do um private dinners which are basically focused on delicious Gujarati cuisine where I also speak a little about Ayurveda, a little bit about Ayurveda 
during the evening as well. Um, mm. So I did one last week and I'm planning some more and bespoke workshops that people can book um, book onto, um, as well as retreat days in a beautiful house in Oxford, which again, I can organize if, people, if a group of people or a group of corporates uh, or a company wants to book for their employees. So I'm starting to do those as well. Um, so yeah, that's basically me in a nutshell. Awesome. And, well, I'll uh, get all those links and put it into the show notes for people to find you. Thank you so much. And it's so wonderful to speak to you again and look forward to meeting this Thursday. Yes, we'll see you soon. <laughs> Thanks Take for care. joining Thank us. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Daya Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to study the power that food can have on our health. When I started practicing as a nutritional therapist a decade ago, I realized that what is just as important is the relationship that we have with food. This is very often a mirror for the relationship we have with ourselves. Through my own personal journey and health challenges, I was forced to dig deeper and understand things that go beyond just our physical bodies. I learned the importance of working with the whole person to create a balanced body, mind, heart, and soul. I'm now passionate about using my diverse toolbox to help women slow down, take better care of themselves, and ultimately cultivate a life which is a reflection of self-love. If you feel like this is speaking to you, I created a 43-page guide, Nine Steps to Love, Nourish, and Connect with Your Body to Create an Energized Life with a Happy Heart and Soul. You can download it for free and join my Grounded Goddess community for even more inspiration by visiting groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen, steps. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen, steps, S-T-E-P-S. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the community.